was doing the right thing, my heart was still hard, and I would meander, would meander from the path Christ had set before me. I know this part. For me, campus life on Wednesday, turning around and getting inebriated with friends on the weekend, and asking forgiveness on Sunday seemed all right. However, there was something still missing. I began to bodybuild in my youth, and I looked up to, to Schwarzenegger, Ferrigno, Colombo, amongst other professionals. I became very self-involved, self-absorbed. In me, all those things I, earned, I learned in my youth were put in an attic, metaphorically. <clears throat> so I thought, I had this figured out, and in a sense could live a double life, Christian sinner. The lifestyle continued on through high school into my first year of college. Now this portion of my life is going to get real serious real fast. I skated through my first year in college with a 3.0 GPA, partied hard, and trained extensively. I still made church and played the role of Christian sinner to meet my surrounding needs. In 1984, I purchased a 1962 MG Midget my senior year of high school, and my dad and I spent countless months restoring the car. By the time I finished my first year of college, I was on top of the world, or so I thought. Nice physique, awesome sports car, nice job, good grades. Shoot, I was number one. In July of 1985, I had a serious car accident, which left me close to death. I spent the next several months in the hospital, therapy, rehabilitation. There was a point where the doctors told my parents I'd never walk. I suffered head trauma, which essentially paralyzed the entire left side of my body. My parents, our church family, my immediate family, never stopped praying and giving it to God during the healing process. After the ordeal and me being on the mend, I began to turn back to my upbringing and focus more on Christ Jesus. I decided to give, I decided to take this as a warning and turn my life around. My journey towards submission was as follows. After being completely start, discharged from the hospital, I worked at a Bible camp as a counselor. I spent a remarkable six weeks relieving my youth and my upbringing in the Bible. After the camp, my mom and I visited my godmother, and when I explained my experience I had, she was so delighted and said she could see the Holy Spirit in me. Whoops! If she could see it, I gasped myself, then others around me could see it as well. I didn't want that. Um, you see, from my accident, I had lost my physique, my sports car, and a year of my life. I wanted to retain what little I had left. Head trauma seemed to erase parts of the memory, yet I managed to retain other fragments. Most of my party pals had moved on, and it was not until another year of recovery that I would fully regain to be able to return to society. Following, wait, slowly, I engaged in the world in its pleasures and found them very satisfying. I again placed God in the trunk in the attic. I had miraculously collected disability from my job and the money brought power. I soon purchased a 1967 Mustang. 
started back in the self-serving ways, I returned to college and being a two-year college was inundated with a new group of classmates. Yet, if you have a great car, nice physique, money, and love to party, everything else doesn't matter. I met a girl who would later become my wife, and for all the wrong reasons. Despite my upbringing, this is what I wanted, and I wasn't going to listen to anyone, including those I can't see. Wait, you say. Don't you see he did for you? Which I replied, oh yeah, right, next. And again, went off to satisfy my prideful, selfish ego. So I started once more to stray from the path God put me back on. After seven years of marriage, we divorced. And I cried out, why? How could you? God, let this happen to me. What happened? Help me. I began doing the right stuff, reading the Bible, listening to the gospel shows, and praying while I traveled to the States for jobs and experience. Alas, my pain was much like, wait, alas, my pain was too much. And like my sinful nature had always been satisfied, alcohol became my way out. Soon the other stuff, or should I say the right stuff, was put back in the attic in the trunk as a memory. The interesting thing that, that the interesting thing about God is when you accept his son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior, me being from New York, and say, just forget about it. Because I did, he doesn't. I wound up missing a very important part of my life. I moved back to New York. I moved away from New York, more like ran away, from everything I and missed my daughter from my first marriage. Again, I started to pray, and again, God answered my prayer. I was able to get a job closer to her. Okay, so things were starting to come around again. Once again, God went back in the trunk. You see, if he were visible in me, then, oh man, people would see that. I didn't want that. Being back in New York brings up bad feelings, as my ex and I don't see eye to eye on anything. I find myself starting to frequent the bar scenes, which makes me life seem to be somewhat okay until she walked in. One night, these two women walked in, and I told the bartender, get them whatever they want, and hurried off to check myself out. I looked in the mirror, popped in a fresh stick of gum, and said, okay, smooth talker, good looker, I got this. Oh yeah, God, if you're still listening, make me sound somewhat sober, somewhat smart, so she's impressed. And I went back to engage in conversation. As the night went on, the woman whom I thought would be interested wanted to go home. So the other one took her home and came back to the bar to talk again to me. What? Okay. All right. So <laughs> something started stirring me. And you guessed it. The trunk in the attic became a jar. When I got home that night, I began searching myself. I didn't know what was going on. I started to wonder why I drank so much and started to pray. For the next few weeks, this woman and I would see one another and talk. And I realized that the feelings I had that were deep started to, uh, to show. I lost my train of thought, guys. Hang on. 
So I found myself starting to pray, God, I went through years of hurt, and I'd rather not go on that merry-go-round again. So if you're listening to me, give me a sign. I was kind of doing my own Michael Almighty, and seeing if the verse in Matthew 4, 7, and it is written, Don't put the Lord your God to a test, held any validity. One night I posed a question, a real deal-breaker. I said, what would you say if I told you I was a Christian? She turned to me and said, cool, so am I. There's your sign. <laughs> um, we wed, and this past December was 19 years for us. Together, we began a life, and once again, God went back in the trunk. Michelle and I had our marital roller coaster and issues to deal with, so we began attending church, hoping to solve the issues. We began to do better, and now together could be Christian sinners. And that seemed to work for a while. Seemingly, we both could comfort one another, yet had our own baggage from the past to contend with. We moved from my career, New York, Ohio, Missouri, Ohio, Puerto Rico, Maryland, and Connecticut, still drinking and still going to church as needed. During this, we had a few churches which we attended, and as we made friends and began to fellowship, there was suddenly there suddenly seemed to be a move on the horizon. After a while, the thought of settling down and finding church seemed to be not worthwhile. In Maryland, we seemed to be on top of our game financially. How about spiritually? What? Who said that? We're okay. Not really. As arguments, tempers, and drinking ensued mainly for me. I lost my job in Maryland, and during my unemployment, a friend of mine from Puerto Rico, who's a Christian, uh, came up to visit and helped me find my now career. We packed up and said some tearful goodbyes and headed toward Connecticut. Times were tough for us financially. Oh, wait. Times were, times were tough as our financial state diminished significantly. Once again, I began to drink, and things didn't get much better. Luckily, our second year here, Michelle found work, which made drinking more affordable. Michelle began to have health issues, which actually have been present for some time, but always seemed to have a band-aid fix. Our third year here was the worst. The household went crazy. Michelle's health diminished substantially, but alcohol was still obtainable. Yet the trunk of the attic somehow became open slightly, and things which transpired caused me to revisit the contents of that trunk. I began to search for a church. I found a few churches and discussed them with Michelle. Nope. The rationale was every time we find a church and make friends, we move. I would agree, case closed, next issue. And yet, on the spiritual side of the household, what kind of example was I? Hmm. This could be a problem, so I began to pray. I came across a church, C.C. Nagy. I found it to have everything which we both liked in the church. Small congregation, close to house, communion hours, and thought this could work. Michelle and I spoke and decided, nope. What? So I began to pray and told Jenna, and she seemed excited to be back in church, but hesitant at the same time. I began to email the pastor. 
The email I recall is this. July 24th, 2013. Yes, I remember communicating with you several times. I understand you and your family are feeling maxed out. It sounds like this Sunday is a perfect time to come to church. You can come and get some prayer, support, and encouragement. Church is many things. One of the things is a hospital. When you're hurting and feeling desperate, God's presence and God's people is what we most need. Broken times are the best time for church. Whatever you could do to make it there would be beneficial for you and your family. Satan would love to have you not be around God's people and his presence and his word. I look forward to meeting you and your family soon. Thanks for the update. Blessings, Jared. 2013, a pivotal moment in my life. I reached the ultimate low. The pain, depression from my life opened up in me, and I would find myself crying silently to sleep many nights. The pain of my past, all my sins were bearing down on me, and I knew the only way was God. Now being fully submitted to Him, I began trusting His will, His way. In Acts 26.14 says, It is hard to kick at the goads. What the heck is a goad? A goad is a sharp stick pointed at one end, and sometimes a sharpened piece of metal is fastened to it. A goad is used to prod the oxen, horses, or other beasts of burden when they don't move. If an animal resists the goading, then often gets hurt by the sharpened metal or stick. So when the animal kicks against the goads, they're really getting torn up by the sharpness of the point. I knew I did that once. Well, I thought, I'm stubborn and have called upon God to benefit me. However, looking back at my life now, there have been times which I was graciously cared for, yet undeserving of his grace. And all the while I thought it was luck. But if you define the words luck and grace, I soon realized the following. Luck is when something happens, it is easy to say it's due to good luck or bad luck. The word luck is defined as chance happening, whether good or bad. Yet grace is an unmerited favor which is found in Christ Jesus and his finished work, not not on my unpredictable behavior. I took a look at the Bible. Luck is not mentioned once. Yet grace appears 124 times. So I apparently am like the prodigal son in the parable in Luke 15 describes. Pretty much, as I have the marks, reminders, as a friend of mine, from athletes in action, called the more teachable moments, which serve to remind me of where I came from. Those lessons learned will help me further my spiritual walk. I prayed to God, and He gave me a better understanding of the issues I faced. The problem was me. The answer have always been there. I chose to do things my way on my time and neglected to let the one who created me, loves me, and cares about me a great deal speak to me. When I quieted down and began to listen, I began to recall the words and pivotal verses which are leading me toward a clear understanding and direction for Michael, the week without him. 
Trust. The word trust brings to mind scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 is basically faith in action. The verse reads, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The next step for me, I'm still learning to give my circumstances to God. I am learning, saying, and doing are very different. I want to control, and I have a hard time surrendering issues to the foot of the cross. Matthew 17, 20, he replied, Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain to move from there to here, and it will. Nothing will be impossible for you. So I wondered if I lacked faith when I prayed for Michelle and other issues, mountains, I face in my life, or because I had, I'm a headstrong person, and I'm holding on, I'm holding back, and still want control. I'm guessing it's the latter. I'm a headstrong person, and I want control. I am still struggling and learning to truly give my circumstances to God. I'm not saying giving circumstances to Him is easy. I would rather have a now answer in results. There's where my faith grows, as I have to trust God, His will, His way, and just keep saying, Thank you, God. And trust in him. I had shared this with my mother, and her response brought me heartfelt warmth. November 6, 2014. Dear Mike, did you know that we are in a Christian training camp for life? God's answers don't depend on us as much as him working for us and in us. I think it's being human that wants us to be in control. I struggle with that all the time. Hard to be still and know that I am God. Psalms 46.10. Sorry. We want the I to be us. You certainly are on the right path. Praise is one of the keys to peace. Are you and Michelle reading the book, Jesus Calling? Sometimes it really nails my feelings and actions. Helps me focus until the next crisis. Love you, Mom. Basically, I'm finding that the more I read God's Word, the more I read the books that my mom has given me over the years that I just put in the attic or put on the shelf and let grow dust, there's a lot of times that God speaks to me. And all those times God spoke to me in the past, I was just too loud. I talked too much and didn't stop, quiet down, and listen to Him and focus on what He wanted. And doing this has made a whole big change in my life, my family, and... I'm so thankful to God. Thanks. Michael Almighty. That's a pretty good title, right? So in his his testimony there, let me just say also as a side note. So as soon as we start talking about testimony time, and you saw, you know, uh, you know, Michael was like, you know, in depth and really detailed, and he had it all typed out, and 
It doesn't always have to go that way. I mean, it could be like a two-minute thing, a three-minute thing, or it could be like a ten-minute thing, you know. However it goes, whatever, you know, God puts on your heart, you know, to share. So just so you know that, and everybody's scared away. Um, his story was interesting um, because uh, I think a lot of people can relate to the back-and-forth parts, parts, yeah, plural, of his story and of his life. Um, I think it's, I don't know, a lot of times it's really rare for people to draw a line in the sand. You know, draw a line in the sand, and they say, you know what? Today, right now, forever, I give my whole heart, my whole soul over to Jesus Christ. Take me and use me in whatever way you want. And they draw that line, and they don't cross it, and they just stay there. That's done. I already decided in my heart, it's done, it's over. I'm not going back. I don't want to go back to my own way. What we do is we kind of like, oh yeah, that's not worth it, you know, and then like jump back over here. You know, and then kind of like do a little hop, you know, and then then I kind of like hop back, you know, and like we play this game where it's like back and forth and back and forth, and um, he mentioned a story in there, which we'll take a look at real quick, and then we're going to close up. Um, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit more because, um, man, it's worth everything in the world to just make a wise decision and then just stick to it. And the wisest, smartest decision in the world is full and total surrendered submission to our King, our Savior, our Creator. So worth it. And the number one tactic of the enemy is say, no, no, it's not worth it. He's not really going to do that. He's not really going to come through. Look how things are falling apart. Look how things are a mess. What's he holding back? That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. He is the best at it. To getting us to see something else over here when God's got something great over there. And then we get impatient and we get weird and just get messed up. So, um, it's rare for the Christian to have enough courage and draw that line in the sand and say, nope, it's not good. Well, how do you know? Da, 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 da. And then try and make it a whole logical argument type thing where the courageous Christian says, no, God has spoken. I, I don't have to do it. Like I, I don't have to go over there and see why it's bad. He just said that it is, and I don't need to go over there. He said he wants me. You know, and it's, it's rare, unfortunately, um, to have the courageous Christian. I'll just draw those lines and just stay there and take that leap of faith. Um, so turn to Luke 15. We'll look at that story, and then we're going to close up with a quick little uh, illustration of what he was talking about. Luke 15, the prodigal son. And this is how uh, Michael described himself. And one of the stories that he talked about. So Luke 15... Thank you. Page 723, verse 11. 740 in the red one? 740 in the red one. Okay, so we start at verse 11. So it says, Jesus continued, There's a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of this state. So he divided his property between them very rare. Usually, 
Um, the father would have to pass away or get real old in years. The oldest would then get like, um, you know, top choice of the inheritance. But this young guy's coming up to his dad and saying, hey, listen, dad, I'm looking to like get out of here and give me my stuff. I'm heading out. So it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That's when you got a circle in your Bible. That's a good moment. It says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, was, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and have everything, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it's an awesome story and picture of our father who's just like passionately pursuing us and is just so excited and we really decided to give ourselves all the way over to him regardless of all the baggage and things we've done in the past. And the moral of that story is not to live however we want and make whatever choices that we want and then say, well, at some point I'll square up with God and tell him that was a mistake, you know. And nah, he's, no, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's not really true repentance. That's called manipulation. Right? It doesn't really work well in the kingdom, especially with the Father who knows. Um, the interesting thing about that story is that that son, the younger son, right, came back, and we're assuming, it's a parable, so probably not a true story, we're assuming that he came back and stayed in the house. And many times, what can happen, and probably times what happens a lot, is that the prodigal son or woman will come back, oh God, they'll come to church, and God, I'm sorry, get some people around them, pray for them, 
kind of get it on track. And then, many times what happens is they make some choices or decisions, and now there's a part two to the prodigal story. And then what happens is there's a part three to the prodigal story. And then there's, there you have all these layers and parts. And meanwhile, we're making choices and doing these decisions and getting ourselves into trouble. It doesn't have to be a back and a forth and to and fro kind of thing. It could be a fully surrendered, submitted thing right in the beginning and do everything we can to help stay in that place. But it's difficult because we see things and we want them and stuff doesn't make sense and then we get feel frustrated and overwhelmed and then they can rule the day and can very, very easily turn into what Michael described really well, I thought, was that he just really cared about God when he had serious problems arise. God, come on in and fix it. And I love uh, the thing where he goes in the bathroom and tries to impress, you know, if you didn't guess, it was Michelle in the story. You know, runs in the bathroom, pops in a stick of gum, and, oh yeah, God, help me to sound sober so I can, you know, sound intelligent to impress her. And many times, unfortunately for a lot of us, it's really easy to fall into that trap and be like, life could be tough and difficult and, you know, we're hurting either physically or emotionally, and God, man, show up and fix this thing. I need you to fix this thing. When honestly what we're called to do and called to be as Christians, we're called to bring Jesus into the situation so now that situation is defined by how Jesus showed up and took over and worked through us. Not that we become a product of just what we're going through. And sometimes we spiritualize it, and now we're a product of what we're going through, and that's just our whole world. And then sometimes we say, can you pray for me? That's not even really a great time to ask for prayer. It's really not. Because we're letting that thing, like, take over our whole lives and, like, suck the joy out. And meanwhile, God has allowed that thing to help transform us into the image of Jesus. Because our God is not a genie like concerned really about fixing things. He's concerned with making us into the image of Jesus Christ and restoring us back to who we were created to be in the first place. And when we really get a grasp and a really good understanding of who we are as sons and daughters with a living God who also lives inside of us, when that's really made clear, and understood really well, all of a sudden we are unstoppable. There's not too much that can shake that. We're standing on really solid ground. Because it's his ground. So when our identity in Christ and our understanding about who he is and who we are gets solid, man, we do really well. But it's really tough to do that if we make not really the greatest choices. Especially when God has made some certain things clear to our hearts and minds and we continue to procrastinate or put off and not deal with. I brought the, uh, something to help out maybe with an illustration here. I brought two kinds of drinks that I like. I don't know what you would have brought. This is what I like. So we got I don't even really like coffee, to be honest with you. But I do like these Starbucks Frappuccino things. 
I don't know. I don't drink them that often because it kind of messes up my stomach, but I should be okay right now. So this is one that I like. I didn't even take the plastic off yet. So this is one drink that I like. And you can think about the drinks that you like if you were to chose, if you were to come up here. This is another one, lemonade. I like lemonade. I don't know. I just like lemonade. I get into it. Yeah. So here's what we do. Right? So what we do a lot of times in life. And uh, say, this is stuff I like. This is stuff I like. Right? And um, as we go through life, you know, we do things that, you know, make it difficult. And it's kind of like having two drinks, you know, that you like. And um, we think that we can kind of sip from both containers when God says, no, like you can only really drink from one of these containers. But I, I like them, though. You know, and so... Like, what you do is, you know, this is, like, good for me. Like, God said, you can have this, you know, and I submitted, and, okay, Lord, like, I want to be yours, and, you know, like, living in the light, you know what I mean, and being with God, and not that lemonade is super holy or anything, you know, but the illustration, right, is there. Like, this is what God said is okay, you know what I mean, and, but then, you know, this is, like, friends and past music and stuff that God has, like, made clear, hey, it's not good. Won't lead you in a good direction. Yeah. Oh. Like, that's disgusting together. It's disgusting. It's disgusting after a lemonade. You know, and so then, like, you know, we get bitter and, like, confused. And, you know, it's just, it's not tasting right. It's not going together well. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a bad choice. Like, I'm just not feeling right. You know, let's go back. Church time, you know. <laughs> so I'm church, did some worship songs. I even raised my hands today. It was good, you know. <laughs> After church, you know what I mean? And, uh, got the football game and be drinking and swearing it up with the guys. And then, and then some guys, you know, hey, got that computer, and they click away to look at stuff I shouldn't, you know. And, and then it's like, oh, yeah, you know. I'm be sipping on that for most of the week. Oh, yeah, church is coming. Oh. <laughs> Saturday night, better get ready, you know. That was good. It's good to be around his people. It's good. You know what? I should really drink from this more often. Like, this is good for me. I can tell. I just feel right. It's a good place. Good people. You know what I mean? And I know I shouldn't be doing that other stuff, and I should end that. And so I'm going to drink. And so this is what the smart people do, or the people that think they're smart. I suck down just like a big gulp. I'd be like, yeah, it's good. Good quiet time hanging out with some good people. I even texted a Bible verse to somebody. <laughs> but then there's that thing I like, and I just, I still a little sip, you know? Oh, still stays gross together. Right? But, 
So we do, we try and like gulp this sucker down, get a little bit of sip of what we want, you know, and then like come back and these two things do not mix. They do not mix. Like he says that we can't have more than one master. He makes it really clear in the word. You're going to be obedient to something. It's either to me or to your flesh, whatever you want. Spirit life, flesh-filled life. Got to make a choice. When you start mixing the two together, man, it does not work out. It just doesn't work out. And then people walk around embittered and confused and stale and not sure what's going on and not be able to see straight and joyless. and Can't mix the two together. Especially when he's made clear to us some way, shape, or form of stuff that is just not cool with him. Where he's convicted our hearts and said, no, it's just not good. I don't want you in there. I don't want you around those people. It's not good choices. What we do is we try and, you know, sit from both. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't work out. We're called to just choose one and not ugh, get the funky taste in our mouth, you know, and be confused and try and live combining the two. It's a lifestyle full surrender where we just come back to Father and say, okay, I'm yours. Just take me and go with it. Whatever you want to do. And so, the thing that just, you know, that I could, you know, relate to and understand about, you know, Michael's story is just that to and fro thing and trying to sip out of both things and like live this double thing and man, let's just like have some courage and take a step out in faith and just be all in and draw a line in the sand and say, no, I'm not going over there. I don't want to live and just making poor decisions. I don't want to live in hostility and being hypercritical and being angry. And I don't want to go there. And I'm going to do whatever I can to try and make sure this thing is pure for my king so he can have his way with it because he said in his word like make sure you are pure you know he just gives a list of all this stuff to stay away from let's stay away from it you know what I mean it's not like trying oh man engage in behaviors that can leave to, to our emotions like overcoming you know who we are and stuff like why and try and drink out of oh god it's still gross why try and drink out of both things you know and that remnant like stays you know with us and Jesus made it really clear that a little bit of yeast, when it gets in, right? That's with the whole dough. And if you've ever made bread, you know this. You throw a little bit of yeast in there, that's enough for the whole bread to help it to rise. And many times, the yeast is used throughout the Bible as an illustration for sin. It's just a little bit get in there. So you think, ah, maybe I won't sip half, I won't drink the whole bottle. But if I have a little sip of the stuff that I like, it's no good. It creeps in. I don't know. It has a find a, finds a way of doing that. And we can't think real clear. And things are tough, you know. So, Michael, thank you for sharing. And, and again, I, I would be thinking and praying about, you know, trying to do, you know, at least one of those a month. As far as what God has done in your life, is doing in your life, and what there is to rejoice about, or just... What's going on where you could just point to and say, this is definitely God moving and working, you know, in my life. And I wanted to share it with my church family so you can be encouraged. That's the idea of the testimony time. It's not to put the shine the spotlight on you. The idea is to shine the spotlight on him and what he is doing. And he works through people. So yes, we're involved in the story. You know, we're involved in the story. 
um, and he's doing stuff all the time. And you might think it's maybe insignificant, you know, to other people, but if it was a big deal, you know, for you, and man, you could feel it in your bones, and it's just, you could tell it was just God working. You know, that's stuff to share about and encourage each other. I was talking with a, a girl this week uh, at work, and God's been doing some work um, in her heart, and past like three years, it's been going on for a while, and um, we were in cafeteria study hall, and we were talking and hanging out, and uh, she was just talking, like very un-Catholic, and um, she's like moving really away from that, and She's like, you know, if I have some spare time, I, I want to spend it with God now. If I got five or ten minutes, like, I want to spend it with him. I just want to read my Bible now. And I'm like, you weren't talking like this a couple years ago. So she's doing this stuff, and I was sharing some things with her. And I could just tell, like, God was just speaking through me. Sometimes, you know, that happens. And she started crying right then and there in cafeteria study hall, man. And I'm thinking, oh, man, oh, boy, these kids, you know, aren't seeing her, you know, fall apart here. It's awesome. It was awesome. And then we continued the convo upstairs in the faculty room, and there she is again, you know, tearing up, I'm about to lose it, you know. And God is just like, in that moment, for whatever reason, using me to just speak some truth into her life, that just encourage her, you know, and pick her up. Heck yeah, that's a praise God. That made my whole week. It's like, thank you, Lord, thank you. And he's looking to do the same thing with all of us. Help speak truth and bring life. Like I said, the process has been going on for three, four years, getting to know her and being around her, and all it takes, time it takes is being invested in the people. And you can't be invested really well if the conversations just stop at, hey, how's it going, how's your week going, and you know, sometimes you've got to dig further, you know what I mean? Get to know them, get to know their family and their kids and what's going on. And So, um, yeah, testimony time. Sure about, like, rejoice, you know, let's rejoice together in what God is doing in and around our lives. So, um, what time we got? I think that's about it, huh? Yeah, that's about it. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. (laughs) Everyone's like, that's it, that's it. I hope he says that's it. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Let's go Cowboys. All right. Let's close in prayer. And and again, please, um, you know, think about sharing some of your story. Like, and I also just wanted to say real quick, too, sometimes there's, like, this idea that everybody has, like, just a testimony. Like, there's just, like, this one big sweeping story that there's lots. A testimony is just something you're just attesting to the fact that good that God has done. There's a whole bunch of those. I don't know. Maybe you want to lump together your whole life. Okay, that's cool. But there's lots of things. God was here. He was there. He showed himself there. I felt him here. That's a te- it's just sharing something good that God is doing, you know, and rejoicing it. That's all that that means. So it's not like this big, you know, huge thing. So, um, so think about those things. You know, think about those things. And how God can speak through you to encourage, you know, the rest of us and be like, yeah, you know, that blessed me today. Thanks for sharing, you know. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to build strength and courage in us, Lord. We don't want to be sipping from two different bottles, Lord, or Stuff that tastes good, God. We just want to be committed to your way, your path, and your will, Father. 
And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't have to need all of the reasons ahead of time about why you're asking what you're asking or why you're saying what you're saying. I pray, God, that we wouldn't hold you hostage to our feelings, God. Father, help us to be in a place and continue to be at a place, God, where we can draw that line in the sand and say we belong to you. My heart, my mind, my soul, my body, and I just want to worship you with it. And I want you to have your way, no matter the cost. And I pray, Father, that we would be committed that way, Lord. And I pray that during this church fast, God, for those that are fasting, Father, that you would continue to strengthen and encourage each person that is, God, and just speak truth into their lives and into their hearts, God. I thank you for the things I've heard so far, Lord, and I'm sure you as a father is just thrilled to be with your sons and daughters with some extra time, God. And so if people are struggling with that church fast also, Lord, I pray that they would just be strengthened, God. That not only would they deny themselves whatever it is, but they would really be intentional, God, on filling themselves with you, just being with you, knowing your heart, understanding your truth, So God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. May you please work through us this week, Lord. You love people a lot and you want to work through us. Help us to get better at developing relationships. Some of us, we don't want to. It's intimidating and want to stick to ourselves. Sometimes it's easier. God, I pray that you help us to be good people, people, Lord, to where we can really dig into others' lives, Lord, in a loving and caring way. So God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.